Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Healthy Dose of Dialogue podcast. I'm your host, Don Antonucci, Senior Vice President of Growth at Blue Shield of California. My guest today is Naomi Allen. Naomi is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Brightline, a technology-enabled pediatric behavioral health care provider designed to provide support to kids, teens, and families across a range of common challenges. She has more than 20 years of hands-on experience as an entrepreneur leading and developing high-growth healthcare technology companies. She also has firsthand experience navigating the challenges many parents face in the traditional behavioral health system. In this episode, we'll hear from Naomi about how she and her team at Brightline are reinventing behavioral health care for children and their families. Thank you for joining me, Naomi. Thanks so much for having me, Don. Great to see you. Great to see you as well. We've had the opportunity to connect a bit in the past, Naomi. And I think one of the things between our conversations and also just from reading up on you, I just wanted you to share with our listeners a bit about your journey into healthcare and how you got into your initial stages in healthcare in your career. And then maybe talk a little bit about how you got into this aspect of healthcare with Brightline. Sure. Um, you know, I feel like it was one of those really great accidental journeys into healthcare. I came out of college. I'd been pre-med um, and then switched to studying German politics, which is that's its whole other podcast discussion um, and came out of college and, and ended up in consulting because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, and, and I ended up in healthcare because it was a high growth area at Deloitte when I was there. And this was in 96 before technology was really pervasive in healthcare. Um, ended up spending almost a year at Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania at a time when their medical records weren't really encoded um, in Epic. This is kind of pre, you know, pre those days. And, you know, they had somebody um, uh, die, essentially, trying to get admitted into the emergency room. And so we spent about a year just encoding operational data, trying to figure out this is, you know, in the mid 90s, when managed care was becoming a thing, um, there was just all of this challenging work being done around length of stays and beds and how do you create enough capacity and what capacity is reimbursed by managed care organizations. Anyway, so long story short, I spent about a year building technology to track a bunch of data sets. Um, and fell in love with the way that technology can drive informed decisions and better outcomes in a healthcare context. So um, that was in 96. And, and I feel really fortunate that, you know, kind of my opportunities to create healthcare and technology in the intersection of those two domains has just grown as the industry's grown up. So um, spent a lot of my early years working in tech and then uh, went to Stanford for business school, ended up at McKinsey, combining McKinsey's healthcare practice and their business technology practice on the West Coast and left McKinsey to found Castlight Health with um, with Todd Park and Giovanni Colella and Brian Roberts. Um, and that began my entrepreneurial journey in 08. It's been, it's been phenomenal. What had led you to Brightline? Share a little bit about that story, um, this idea, this organization that you've, that is now sort of, um, you're beginning to have take off here. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yes, I will. And I first want to say I shared this, I share this story with the consent of my my son and my child, um, as well as my family, because um, consent matters uh, when it comes to talking about our kids and their well-being. Um, and so I just want to start with that. 
Um, my son, a number of years ago, had acute onset anxiety and, and was showing some signs of being on the autism spectrum. Um, at the time, I was at Livongo as the chief growth officer, and we were gearing up for Livongo's IPO. And I had spent a lot of my career as an entrepreneur actually working in adult-focused behavioral health. Uh, when I was leading product at Castlight, we launched Castlight Elevate uh, about 13 years ago, which was one of the first really scaled uses of digital CBT for adults. Um, I then bootstrapped a company in behavioral health for couples therapy, um, did that for about a year. And then I ended up at Livongo as chief growth officer. But one of the one of my remits at Livongo was helping us after we acquired my strength, helping us create an offering around that and integrate it. So in my previous three jobs, I've been working in behavioral health. And yet when this happened with my son um, and we had this acute onset uh, set of symptoms, we were lost. We were that family that we didn't know where to go. Um, we called a bunch of clinicians and sat on wait lists. We didn't even know, do we go see a therapist, a psychiatrist? Do we need a neuropsych evaluation? Is this developmental? Will he outgrow it? And, um, you know, and, and there was added complexity, if I'm candid. My husband is, is four different um, ethnic backgrounds. He was not raised in the U.S. And so we just also were approaching the conversation from really different contexts and cultural backgrounds and a uh, heightened stigma on his side around even what what to say to family and friends. Um, and it was tricky. It was it was really tricky. And, you know, I, I we we got my son off of wait lists after a few months. Um, we were we were cash pay. We, we couldn't find any in-network clinicians on our insurance plan who were willing to see us in any reasonable time frame. And then it was really a question of kind of shuttling him around to all these diverse appointments with none of the clinicians talking to each other. So we went through this journey. We got him um, the support he needed, thankfully. Um, but it, at times, I I almost quit um, my job at Livongo. And at times, I would just turn to my husband in tears and say, I don't know how to get through this. Um, and we also, at the time, so my oldest at the time was five. My twins were three. And it had a profound impact on uh, my sense of frustration that I wasn't able to spend enough time with my older, my younger kids either. Um, so anyway, not to spend too much time on my story, but I just looked around. I thought, this is nuts. All the innovations happening on the adult behavioral health space. If you're a family that goes through a, a need, whether it's profound or not, whether it's something small or big, it's the most important thing happening in your family at the time. And um, and it's complicated. It's not like, you know, not just the adult behavioral health is not complicated, but the amount of family dynamics, the inner, the you know, the inner inner family dynamics between siblings. If you're in a two parent household, just getting on the same page about what's appropriate um, in terms of care is really complicated. Um, and kids are more often comorbid, so they need more than one type of clinician. Um, and so it just, you know, it really was so apparent to me after this experience that. Um, there needed to be uh, just a, a massive overhaul of the way we think about care delivery in the pediatric behavioral health space. Um, I was really, really fortunate in that as that was becoming more obvious to me, uh, it was also becoming more obvious to the team over at Oak HCFT. And so Annie Lamont and Billy Deitch, who had been investors when I was at Castlight, um, contacted me and Giovanni Colella, my former co-founder at Castlight, 
Um, so the, the Gio and I and Annie and Billy came together to form Brightline and it's just been, it's been such a phenomenal time to, to get to build a company focused on family and kid uh, behavioral health in, in this obviously in this time of tremendous crisis as a country. It's such an important need and uh, I think a place that Brightline's found to serve. I'm just so excited about it. I know we'll talk a little bit more in this in this episode about what you're doing at Brightline. But what I get curious about when you share that, Naomi, is you've had such success previously as an entrepreneur working with large organizations um, or that have become, you know, significant organizations, Castlight, uh, Livongo. Um, how, how does this um, line up for you? Mission, I'm sure, knowing you is always important to a company and organization that you create, but this one is really close to home. So how does that translate for you as a CEO, founder, um, and then putting your business hat on? I mean, what what's that look like versus the other places you've been? Yeah, you know, I think I think first and foremost, it's it's a joyful experience because um, I'm really grounded in the reality that the families that we're supporting, the kids we're supporting, are going to have a different outcome, right? It's the it's the it's the care model, it's the support, it's the infrastructure that I would have wanted when I was going through this experience um, initially from Mateo. And so first and foremost, it's joyful. I get to bring together this amazing set of, of leaders and executives and experienced entrepreneurs and clinicians to build something that I think is profoundly impactful. Um, and I think also, you know, starting a company in your late 40s, one of the joyful aspects is you get to bring the best people from every previous uh, professional experience you've had. So that's great. Um, I do I do think that um, I my team would tell you that I am pretty intense. Um, and it's because I, I sweat the details. You know, I think if we're, um, I think a lot about, okay, if we're rolling out a program for, um, you know, how to support families who are trying to determine whether their child is on the autism spectrum, I'm obsessively reading about what, what are the needs of those families? What are the questions they're asking? How does this impact the siblings? Um, if a family can't get into ABA treatment, which is very common, there's, you know, incredibly long wait lists, what, what's supporting them for that six to nine months they're waiting to get into treatment? What are the alternatives out there for them? What role does school-based counselors play in helping these kids that are on these wait lists? And so I, you know, I, I'm obsessive because the domains matter so much to families. Um, and I do have that, I come at this with a real family first mindset. Um, you know, that being said, I'm, I'm a, I'm a business person. I'm an entrepreneur. We've got to, you know, I, 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 I tell my team, like, we don't earn the right to go do some of these things until we have real impact with our customers. We've got to show to health plans that we're delivering high quality care consistently with high access day in, day out, day in, day out at a reasonable price point. Otherwise, it, none of the stuff matters. We don't, we don't get the right to serve families. We have to serve families effectively, and then we get the right to do that at scale across the country with more customers. And so, um, you know, the mom, I had to sometimes actually explicitly in meetings say, okay, here's the CEO's answer. <laughs> here's what, you know, me as a CEO, here's what I'm thinking about this. And then, you know, me as a mom, here's here's the questions that I have about our approach here. Um, and so the team knows that I wear both of those hats. And sometimes I sometimes I forget to to say which hat I'm wearing, but they've gotten used to calling me out on it when I when I'm not explicit about it. I would love to ask you, and as I've talked to other successful entrepreneurs, what one thing I found is that there's some similarities and there's also differences in terms of how they operate and which, but for you from a CEO perspective as an entrepreneur, what's been your sort of key 
recipe for success? What would you share with others that are considering, you know, building something, especially in the healthcare space? What what would you share? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm, you know, maybe I'm old school in this mindset. um, So I recognize that. But, you know, sometimes when I talk to entrepreneurs or or aspiring entrepreneurs, um, you know, I think that they come out of undergrad or or business school, they think about going through an accelerator or, um, and and they've never worked in in, in other startups. Um, And I just think that there's a ton of value. If you're going to be a CEO in particular, there's a ton of value of just seeing other startups, good, bad, and ugly. Like they don't all have to be, you know, the, the, the stripes of the world. You don't have to have the Twilio's. It doesn't have to be a grand slam. But I do think just going and being part of how um, different companies are run, observing um, in particular different leadership teams, different styles, different operations, different board dynamics, I think is just so valuable. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I saw such a remarkable contrast in terms of the, you know, kind of the experience that I had at Castlight vis-a-vis Lavanga, really different styles, different teams, different investors. And I was so grateful to have seen both of those. Um, and so maybe my my advice for for aspiring entrepreneurs is, um, you know, slow it out a little bit before you start your own company. And um, there's a lot of value in in sitting in you know sitting in companies and seeing them and learning from them. Um, and also, frankly, that just helps so much in terms of the network, right? You you can really think about, like, gosh, this you know these three people. And I've always worked this way. Every company I've been, I'm like, who who are the people that I really want to take when I start my own company? Because I've always known that it would probably be the path that I would go towards. Um, and so that helps. You know, it helps just have sat in a few companies and really seen how they operate. Turning to Brightline specifically, can you give some headlines about where you are right now with Brightline, what you're focused on, and maybe what you're excited about here over the next year in terms of uh, it expanding? Because I know you've got some really good stuff cooking there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, you know, I think I think what's been really interesting is what the last year has meant for Brightline. So we launched CARE in a pretty small way in California at the end of Q3 last year. Um, and sort of, you know, Brightline's about a year and a half old now. It took us about a year to get kind of operationally up and running with our, our technology and our corporate stack and get our clinicians hired. Um, and I think what has been just phenomenal has been just already seeing the, the outcomes and the impact from the families we're serving. Um, so we measure a set of clinical outcomes weekly, um, really tracking uh, what's called a clinical global impression improvement score, where we're seeing outcomes that that are actually uh, at or better what uh, kids see in physical clinics and really high caliber physical clinics. So that's been amazing. Um, you know, patient satisfaction ratings that are incredibly high, uh, ratings of families that um, start care, they retain, they they're they're retained throughout the care journey. So for all the months of care. And so, you know, I think it's just been a phenomenal early, you know, early start for us. Um, and then in Q4 of last year, we started with young kids and in Q4, we expanded into adolescents and teens. Um, and we staged it because um, the amount of work to create a pediatric model, and then you have to essentially create all the infrastructure for privacy for, you know, adolescents and teens have their a very different set of domains and clinical scope and domains that they deal with versus young kids. And you have to be able to branch that experience and give them their own private, their own private communications with their therapist and their coach. And so um, that was, that was really Q4 for us last year. And I think, I think that the, you know, what was amazing coming out of our first year as a company 
um, was to have a model that we saw was working that could scale from kids, you know, as young as a year and a half on on um, social communication and speech delays all the way up through age 18 for anxiety, depression, ADHD, medication support. So it was a really phenomenal model. But I'll, I'll say, and I can say this now with, you know, with a little bit of joking, but it, it was it was kind of like an, an old school care model. It was only clinicians. It was only protocolized, um, you know, fairly like rigid, rigid adherence to protocols, very, um, you know, structured four to six months of treatment pathways. And, and so that was the plan. It was kind of like taking the best of a really great, high caliber, multidisciplinary brick and mortar clinic and creating a virtual experience around that. Um, but, you know, what it wasn't built for last year was essentially this incredible shortage of clinicians we have across the country. Um, and so we started talking about, in, you know, last year, if we literally hired every single clinician that's pediatric trained in the country, there still is going to be an incredible shortage. 75% of the counties in the country don't have any pediatric behavioral health practitioners at all. Um, at all. And, you know, of the very tiny pool of pediatric practitioners, only 20% of them are using measurement against high quality evidence-based protocols. And so we're like, this is, this is an unsolvable problem. We're never going to scale with the type of quality, with the type of training of clinicians we want. And so we, we spent a lot of time talking to families. We spent a lot of time talking to health plans. Um, we spent a lot of time talking to self-insured employers. And I think where, you know, where they led us, thankfully, was this notion that not everything is one size fits all. Not every family needs a six-month protocol of, of, you know, multidisciplinary care. And so what we've been really focused on, laser focused in the past six months is creating a model that flexes based on what a family needs. And so we've got Brightline Connect which is a self-serve technology experience with webinars and classes for families that maybe have a child with ADHD or families that are having a child with a lot of anxiety, um, especially with the return to school. Um, so there's a lot of kind of lighter touch, lighter weight uh, technology enabled services. And then we built an entire coaching function that's not chat-based, um, it's, it's telehealth services, but it's coach-led. And that's really for things that are subclinical um, or short duration or skill building. Um, and then we still have our care model, which is a very robust multidisciplinary care model. But we figured out that we could actually have different solutions that support families and catch them and support kids at different levels of acuity. And they can flex up and down that set of solutions as needed. So it's all delivered as bright line. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just pick on a couple of examples. Um, you know, we have, we'll see a 12 year old child. Um, and the reason they'll come to Brightline is they're having really disrupted sleep. They're waking up in the middle of the night, they're sleeping until noon on the weekends. Um, and so a parent or caregiver may be concerned that the child is showing signs of depression. They'll come to us and we'll take them through a brief questionnaire. And some of those kids, frankly, are depressed. <laughs> they, they need some work on sleep hygiene, right? And those kids don't need to be in a six-month depression protocol with medication support. They need three to four sleep hygiene coaching sessions, you know, ideally in partnership with their parents or caregivers. And so that's just a classic case where, you know, as a as an industry historically, because we couldn't flex different options to different families, 
we we kind of had to use the only option that families had available and that was uh, you know a pretty hefty clinical model and i think that's part of the reason why we have an acute shortage right so if, if everyone is going to um you know the top the top sort of the top line um treatment model as their only pathway and by the way it it's a safety blanket for families so they never want to get out of care then of course you know there's there's a pretty acute shortage of those clinicians and so how how do you support the families that um that have lower acuity needs and so i think that's that's just something that we're really profoundly excited to get to do um to get to scale across the country you know i think the other piece for us that's so important and has become even more important during covid is this notion that with with a virtual care model virtual first care model um, we can support families that are in the 75% of counties that have no clinicians. And so, you know, historically, nobody had figured out how to, how to support um, a therapy model for kids using digital interventions, using innovative ways to build rapport with telehealth, um, using follow-up digital exercises. Um, and so the fact that we've built that on, a, on the chassis of evidence-based high-quality protocols in a virtual care model and that it's working. That means that the, the kids that are in these counties that have no clinicians um, it, can be supported for the first time ever. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and the converse is true as well, which is the clinicians that maybe don't live near a big city, but wanna be providing really high quality care with evidence-based protocols, with a system of care that engages kids and families, but they have a place to do that with a virtual care model. It's super interesting um, and exciting with respect to kind of the innovation. So, you know, that's what we're laser focused on right now, scaling across the country, corporate practice of medicine across the country, partnering with incredible health plans like Blue Shield of California and, um, and, and, and self-insured employers that are realizing the impact that pediatric behavioral health has on their employee population, employee productivity, workforce burnout, um, uh, loss of women in the workforce. So I think we're just seeing just this massive wave of, of demand um, on Brightline. Um, and I'll say one more thing, this is a very long answer to your very short question, um, which is, you know, just in terms of the future, we, we just are seeing so much additional opportunity. Um, we're supporting English and Spanish right now, but lots of need for culturally competent, diverse, multilingual care. Um, and that's an area where we're definitely headed. Um, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot of need right now for families that are dealing with questions of gender dysphoria with their adolescents and teens. That's happening at a younger and younger age. Um, certainly anxiety, um, you know, there's a wave of anxiety coming as kids re-enter school. Um, body image issues for kids that haven't seen their peers in a long time and are about to see them again um, with frequency and are having real body image questions. And so we're really focused right now on um, just how do we create the type of infrastructure and support and care models and coaching and, and safety systems that we think families are about to really experience over the next uh, six to 12 months. That's amazing work, Naomi. I give you credit because you've got that business hat, you've got this passion, and this is a big need. A lot of what you've talked about, even into eventually where you want to go, it must always be tricky in terms of how do you prioritize and where do you go next because it's such a huge need. You had some stats that we picked up on your website. And for listeners, there are one in three children experiencing poor mental health during the COVID-19 pandemic. 80% are not getting the care that they need. And 50% of parents are losing significant productivity as a result. So with what you're creating at Brightline, 
And as it rolls out, I know that with our own employee base, for example, at Blue Shield, we're rolling this out and we're really excited about that. Um, we're also excited to partner with you in the markets that we serve at Blue Shield. It's such important work you're doing. I wanted to ask you, how do you take care of your own health, your own mental health? You know, what's important to you? I was reading an interview that you did, and one of the things you talked about was sleep, which I am a huge fan of for sure. Give us some tips in terms of how you take care of yourself and anything that either employees or our listeners would pick up on from you and how you operate. Oh, thanks for that. Well, um, you know, one of the joys of being an entrepreneur with really young kids is it's a forcing function to shut off. So, you know, my, if I don't if I don't show up at a certain time downstairs in the kitchen, somebody's going to walk into my home office for sure. And, and, and you know, I, I do think that, you know, one, one of my observations during COVID is in particular, my employees who live by themselves or don't have that forcing function, it's really hard right now for them to find any semblance of balance. And so, you know, if there are employers listening, I think we've spent a lot of time as 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 executives and as a country thinking a lot about the impact of COVID-19 on working families, but I think also on working singletons, right? It's like a really tricky thing because I think that those lines of work and life and are just so blurred right now for everyone. So in some ways, I think I've got it easier because I've got a forcing function with little ones. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, self-care as a, as a serial entrepreneur is always a tricky balance. Um, I try to not hold myself to any like all or all or nothing thinking. So, you know, as opposed to, gosh, I've got to be on my Peloton every day for 90 minutes. I'm like, all right, it's, you know, if this week it's 20 minutes, it is what it is. And that's okay. Um, you know, I think just a little bit of that grace and in, in, in my own self-care routines, you know, I'll, I'll say the big thing here, um, for entrepreneurs that are listening, and I've said this before, um, you know, I, I think that the entrepreneurial journey as, as you know, being in a relationship with an entrepreneur, um, as an entrepreneurial journey, it's a selfish, it's a selfish journey. Um, and, and so, you know, if you're bootstrapping a company, you're, you're, you know, exposing families to lots of financial risk. If you're in a venture backed company and it's going well, it's a pretty intense journey. You're going to be traveling. You're going to be always thinking about kind of the business and your next, you know, your next growth vector. If you're in a venture venture back business and it's not going well, that has its own set of challenges. And so, you know, I just try to remember how fortunate I am that that my husband, that my in-laws, that my my nanny, that that you know, we're we are that fortunate set of people as an entrepreneur, as entrepreneurs that have that support structure around us. Um, and so, you know, I take that. I don't take that lightly. I take that very seriously. That 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 my family is what enables me to do the type of work that is very personally gratifying and hopefully, uh, hopefully over time gratifying to the community families that we serve, and that sustains a lot of of hard moments. I just want to mention too. There was an article I was reading, and there's a couple quotes that you said. One, you know, that came from your mom and dad that you love. Uh, to whom much is given, much is expected, you mentioned in this article. And then uh, another one that you mentioned that that you said struck you was happiness is not a destination, it's a way of travel. And I just, uh, I love that you pointed that out in, the, in that article when I was reading it about you and your background. Um, so I'd love to turn to uh, here at the end with some kind of rapid fire fun questions, you know, one or two words or a sentence, whatever you wanna do. Um, and so the first one is, uh, what is one thing that you do to stay healthy? Jenny Schneider, uh, when I was working with her closely at Livongo, gave me a beautiful handcrafted 
glass pitcher. I'll see if I can show it real quickly. And um, and it was hand-blown glass by Glenn Tolman's son. I don't know how many people know that about Glenn Tolman, but his son is an incredible glass artist. And it's always at my desk and it's always full of water. And so I really try to work my way through that a couple of times a day. And it always makes me smile because it's something beautiful from somebody that I care about. Um, so that's one thing I try to do to stay healthy. Uh, I'm not always perfectly on top of the water game, but I try to be. <laughs> Great. What is the most used app on your phone? Um, Pinterest. I am a hardcore uh, Pinterest junkie, whether that's um, home decor or thinking about a project that I can do with my kids or fantasizing about travel when that becomes possible again. Um, I am a big Pinterest junkie. And what's the favorite thing about where you live? I live across the street from the sweetest little community where um, on essentially a four block radius is my kids' school, a children's library, a community theater, tennis courts, and a swimming pool. Um, and it's across the street from us. And so um, I, uh, even before COVID, my office is like 12 minutes from my house by bicycle. So even before COVID, um, I tried to use a car as little as possible. Um, and my life is, you know, when I'm not on the road traveling in a like six block radius and it suits me great. I love not having a big commute. Um, I love trying to, you know, be in walking distance from the stuff that we do on a regular basis. My husband will laugh at me that I'm uh, addicted to Phil's coffee. And he, he claims that my Phil's coffee addiction is because it's the only place I drive during the week. I get in my car and we'll drive to Phil's. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's what I love. I just like, I like, um, you know, I think I, I, maybe that's another thing for entrepreneurs is like, if you're going to, if you're going to work long hours, just simplifying your life down as much as you can. So that's part of how we picked where we live. Well, thank you so much for the time on this podcast, Naomi. It's been a pleasure, Don, and I'm, I'm really grateful for the time with you. Thank you. And for our listeners, thank you for taking the time to listen. And I hope you walked away just inspired like I am around Naomi's passion to reinvent behavioral health and how, how that healthcare is delivered for families, kids, teens, and, and how we can support each other to promote our mental health well-being. For more information about Brightline, visit hellobrightline.com. And join us next time as we continue to bring you a healthy dose of insights and perspectives based on conversations with leaders who are transforming healthcare. We'd love to hear your feedback, share your comments, and let us know your thoughts by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also join the conversation on LinkedIn or Twitter at Dose of Dialogue or visit our website at www.doseofdialogue.com.